Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations, joins us Friday for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Malcolm. It's good to be with you. Appreciate that. Any closer to to a definitive uh, decision as to who will be the next president of the United States, or or a week later, there's not not much has changed on that front. Well, it depends on uh, uh, who you ask. But, uh, I think the sands are shifting, and more people are coming to uh, some recognition that uh, the outcome appears pretty definitive. But it's not over till it's over. You know, it's everybody funny. has a right to pursue their legal. Yeah, writes fully, and I get that. But no, what's funny is that as as we get further on, and the group that you just described is you know coming to grips with it, that uh, that you know Joe Biden's the next president of the United States. It seems that as that's happening on the other side, there's parallel activity of showing more and more fraud, and more and more, you know, or, or at least claiming. I should, I should be careful say, saying showing, but claiming more and more fraud and developing you know other theories or realities in terms of uh, how people were playing around with the election system etc so i hope you're right that we're closer to a definitive decision i think it would be best for this country frankly well we're coming to deadlines so that will in and of themselves uh term make uh decisions necessary and um i don't know we'll see when they said if they if they solve it, what will the newscasters do all day? <laughs> I think a lot of people already <laughs> are turning away from some of the news sources that they were. Uh, I think you're right. Glued to over the last four years. Uh, now, when you said Friday's a deadline with Pollard, is that today? This Friday, November the twentieth. Like, is this it? Is, is there a decision that's going to be made in the next few days by the president of the United States, and he actually could be a complete free man and go to Israel? That. It's true. The decision could be not to do anything and not to extend the restrictions. Right. And it's pending. Uh, I don't think that that was a deadline. I think from that point on, when it expired, now we have to see if it's renewed or if ah, in fact so it's not a hard, allows it. Right. So it's not a hard deadline. It's just now, no. it's, now it's time for the president to take action one way or the other. Right. And they are waiting every day, the pilots, to, to see very anxiously. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, that this actually take place. And it's funny now reading news sources that did not publish editorials pro Pollard over the years, now basically saying it's time to really just, you know, put this thing to an end and let him let him go to Israel if he wants to. Well, he's demonstrated such responsibility and restraint yeah, uh, in his wife true. over all this time. You know, to the people for forgotten that he's still uh, under these restrictions. They don't, they, and I think he's demonstrated to any questioning per, per, uh, source that how he will behave and what he will do when he goes to Israel. He should just be allowed to live his life out there. And finally, hundred uh, percent. All right, get me out of trouble for not asking you last week because I have uh, taken seven days of criticism for it. I actually, oh, good. I actually, <laughs> I actually, in all seriousness, and and this is for a longer conversation, folks. So don't don't blame me for this soundbite. Uh, I may not have realized just how bad the comparison was. What did you think of the Christian Amanpour comparison of the Trump presidency to Kristallnacht? And what do you think of her apology days later? Well, apology in quotation marks, and her, her remarks were really offensive. It diminishes the Holocaust, and, you know, I, I can't get into people's heads to what the intent, and the intent is. I know what the impact is. And and it's not just there. I mean, there was a synagogue in Boston where where they uh, the clergy wrote a letter or, or some memo uh, report to their members in which they drew similar 
references. It's, it's, people don't understand. This, number one, diminishes the Holocaust. If people think this is what the Holocaust was about, they're not suffering, they're not in prison, they're not in concentration camps, they're not dying uh, from it, and the the we, we we have to be strong in our responses to it in order to make sure that it doesn't become commonplace and it doesn't become that this diminution of the Holocaust, the denigration of the suffering of of uh, the people during the Shoah, doesn't uh, become acceptable. Yeah, understood. And whether we want to accept or 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 describe her apology as a sincere apology, I guess is a subjective. You know, depends on the way people view her in general and the way she handled mm-hmm. the situation. Um, so we were speaking to Mark Rosenberg from Nefesh Benefesh before, and of course I'm sure you've seen the reports. I mean, Israel could actually be going into a third lockdown now with fear that the Hanukkah holiday, which is just two weeks from this coming Thursday night, uh, could you know again uh, uh, become a spreader because of parties and people getting together, time off from school, etc. I, I don't know, Malcolm, and, and frankly this is really not a question, but I'm sure you have the same kind of reaction I have. I don't know how people are doing it. I don't know how people are doing it in this country. But those in Israel who we know, many of them live hand-to-mouth. We know that many of them have businesses that depend on, on literal daily income, and, and they have not had anything for all these months. I, I, I don't know. I mean, do you, hear of, uh, do you hear of food organizations in Israel making direct pleas to Jews around the world to help support these families? Like, do you, I, I just don't get what's happening, and I hope that between the Israeli government and those organizations, they're able to, to help all these what must be thousands and thousands of families get through this. Well, you're right on all counts. Uh, I mean, it's bad here, and we have, thank God, a tremendous chesed network. And without the uh, aid package, uh, many people are suffering and businesses still restricted. But in Israel, uh, they went through much longer periods of restriction because the rise was so sharp after a long lull. Yeah. And now, uh, by the way, they they predicted this, and I have to say that the security agencies have been the best uh, predictors in in this regard. They they predicted a second wave and a third wave, year, uh, you know, six months, eight months, ten months ago, and predicted that uh, uh, Hanukkah time would be a period of shutdown. They they monitor it, they watch the patterns, and look, we we just have to get past it. Bar uh, Hashem, uh, we see that some. Real progress has been made in terms of the inoculations and the vaccinations that are going to be available, and it could be, you know, in four or five months, uh, you'll have millions and millions of the most vulnerable will be inoculated, and the they're rushing FDA approval uh, starting today, and, and uh, next week I think Moderna is going to do the same after Pfizer today. So there's some light at the end of the tunnel, but you know, it's it's. By the way, there are organizations in Israel that are straining to provide assistance and food and help, and many people know those organizations, and the government does have a a, a safety basket, but it certainly doesn't compensate. You've seen people uh, on TV, the guys, the people whose businesses have been, who can't feed their families, it's it's evoked a, a national response. Uh, and I think the campaign that was launched here in Flatbush and elsewhere about buying locally, that people you know find it convenient to, to go online and, and purchase rather than to make the effort, go to the stores or call them up and buy locally. These guys need it. Amazon doesn't. Amazon will survive. But many of your local stores will not be there after COVID if we don't do it. Well said, and that applies to every community around the country and at this point around the world. Um the Pompeo trip to Israel. So, first of all, tell me about the significance of where he visited, 
And then tell me what he said and what weight is behind the statement regarding his comments about BDS. So this was historic, and I know that term is used very lightly uh, these days, because everything, I think, um, uh, becomes historic. But, uh, I mean, he said BDS is a cancer. It's anti-Semitism, and he's going to crack down on it. That in summary, but he talked, he said they would regard the global anti-Israel BDS campaign as anti-Semitic, and that he will take action against uh, the BDS movement and groups that support it, especially the fact that they they make sure that they get no government uh, assistance. Uh, and you know that in Germany, about a year ago, they, they did say that um, BDS was anti-Semitic, um, but the uh, United States has been reluctant to. Um, and in fact, in the Bundestag, when they made the statement, they said that it, it, it's reminiscent of Nazi era calls to boycott Jews. There, I think the comparison is relevant. Um, and they called on the government not to support things. Now Pompeo comes, and as part of a truly historic uh, visit to the Golan Heights, to the um, uh, and visited the border um, of the Syrian border with Israel. I think he's the first to do it. Then he visited Sagot Winery in the Shtachim, and then he went to visit, uh, which was a first in and of itself. And um, he um, uh, uh, he made this uh, deliberative and uh, statement to the world uh, that products made in the areas under Israel, full Israeli control should be marked as made in Israel. Right. And as you know, in Europe and elsewhere, there are, there are campaigns that uh, to make sure that they don't say that it's made in Israel, that it has to be said made in occupied lands or made in um, things. So in each of these cases, it's a first for a secret, sitting Secretary of State to uh, to visit these areas. And, you know, last year the State Department recognized the Golan after the president uh, statement. Uh, but this is sort of an implementation of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, he said that settlements can be done essentially in a lawful and appropriate manner, not declaring them illegal. Uh, this was painted by, I forget where I saw it, but this was painted as a final gift to the right-wingers in Israel from the Trump administration, which I found pretty funny, um, only because, I mean, if in fact, and I know that it's hard dealing with this question only because we don't know what's in the mind of the president. Does, does he really think after January 20th he's still going to be the president of the United States? I don't know. It's possible he does. Uh, but why? Why? Why this type of action? Does, is this is this simply to set up the next administration, uh, you know, to uh, uh, by showing that the United States is even deeper uh, with Israel in terms of being on Israel's side on these issues? Is, is that why? I mean, what, what? why would he at this time, in this time of transition... Um, uh, you know, have the Secretary of State visit and make these kind of statements? First of all, because I think it's what Secretary of State Pompeo believes. He demonstrated this all the time since he's been Secretary of State. Not only is he a very supportive of Israel and supportive, uh, made supportive statements in all these areas till now and the actions that they've taken till now. This is not out of character or uh, a, a diversion from previous policy. Uh, he knows full well that the next administration can do what they want in, in a lot of areas. They're not going to reverse the decisions on Jerusalem and other things, but 
you know, they, they have a different attitude from what we see regarding settlement activity, et cetera. So I think he was putting down markers. He was making it clear where he stood and where the administration stood. Uh, I don't think that it was, you know, to be an inheritance for the next um, uh, for the next administration necessarily. And, right. um, so I, I see it as, as him expressing himself, and he's done... A lot of these kind of things uh, in the past, his statements, et cetera, have been consistent. So until this point, and tell me if I'm wrong, but until this point, any state that went ahead and had a vote on BDS, it was more symbolic? Or were there actual states that declared they're not doing business with those who participate in BDS? Was, was it more of a, a declaration, more of a, uh, a proclamation or citation by a state government, or were there practical implications? No, there are certainly practical implications. Uh, there are states that have adopted um, strong anti-BDS legislation, uh, states in the United States and some others who have, um, um, you know, denied participation and, and have declared it such. Uh, so, no, real implications. But this is the most far-reaching where he... And, and says that they're going to identify the supporters and they're going to make sure that they get no government support and will openly declare it as anti-Semitism, as I said to you, Germany right. is the only other one that I think has taken that official position, though many officials have said it as well. Yeah, well, pretty amazing. That's uh, something for somebody who's from California. You know, it's not like he's from the Bible Belt, Pompeo. <laughs> you know, so pretty interesting, uh, to say the least. Uh, is there an end to the uh, pay-to-slay movement among the Palestinians because of the, uh, 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 well, I guess because they're assuming that Joe Biden's going to be president and they'd like to curry a little bit more favor with the next uh, U.S. administration? Is pay-to-slay over? <laughs> That's a good question. If you trust anything that the Palestinian Authority says, then maybe you would say that they are readjusting it. They didn't declare that it would be over, but they said that they moved, might might drop some of the people who are recipients. As you know, that just a couple of days ago, they said that they were going to put them all on the payroll, which would obviate you know the some of the implications of the law. But they think would be bypassed the law. Um, but, you know, this is hundreds of millions of dollars that they spend every year. They know that they can't get the aid. Israel will continue to deduct the aid that they give them uh, from the aid they give them, the amount that they spend on pay to slave, which, for those who don't know, means that they pay every terrorist or, or family of a terrorist who was killed in the course of an action. And the more they kill, the more they got. Many of them made two, three times what a policeman, let's say, in the PA would make. Uh, and this was lifetime. Uh, many countries, other countries, have also taken action on this issue, but uh, and Europeans started to cut back also, and they need the money. Till now, they've not been taking the money from Israel because Israel deducted. Now they they are desperate. They want the um, they want the assistance. They're being attacked by Hamas for giving in. Abbas tried to declare it as a victory, and they obviously mocked him for uh, for that uh, for that declaration. It was in fact. Um, uh, capitulation, more or less, on his part. Uh, but the the um, uh, question is, will they really sit down to talk? Is this a ploy for the new administration coming in? Uh, they they will will have to see for uh, 
uh, while we have what the, their real policy is. But as you see, that they, they've been working to ban those who make peace with Israel from visiting Al-Aqsa, but going to the, to the Harabayat, that the, um, the delegation from UAE visiting went up there, were, were harassed, and now they issued a fatwa uh, by the Mufti of Jerusalem against it. And then all the Arab countries are saying they don't determine what we're going to do, and have rejected it, essentially. Um, but the... the um, you know, PA is going to go through really serious changes. They have to face an election sooner or later, and you know, they they their economic conditions are so bad. Young people are totally disaffected. So we will have to see what they what what it really means in the long run. But it does show that Taylor Force and all these other efforts were really impactful. Uh, PA um, security cooperation with Israel. Um, is going to end? Is it a threat? What is the... Uh... No, it has ended. Now it's re- they're rebuilding it. They're reopening it. It stopped a, a month ago, and then now it's, it's part of this deal is that they would reopen security cooperation because they also get money from the United States for that. Oh, I didn't realize that it ended uh, months ago. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and Nachum and the Nachum Segal Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Is Corbyn in or out of the Labor Party in the UK? Uh, Corbyn is in. Uh, they uh, decided to give him a chance to come back into the party, not in a leadership position. Uh, but the problem is that once he's back in, he, he is reasserting himself. It's a disgraceful move on the part of the Labor Party. Um, but, you know, it's not surprising, frankly. Uh, why doesn't any country that might have been involved want to take credit for the uh, assassination of Abu Muhammad al-Masri? I didn't know that nobody took credit. I think it's very clear who took credit for it. And the fact that it was leaked to the New York Times three months later, I mean, it happened in August. Um, and I think the, the timing in part was because there was information that he was planning. Uh, he, he was number two in al-Qaeda, just so you know, and his daughter was killed with him. Miriam was the wife of the son of Osama bin Laden, who had been killed uh, also earlier. Um he was uh, struck in Tehran, so it sent a message to the government of Iran it's that if you harbor these terrorists, and remember, al-Qaeda is Sunni and they are Shiite, the very fact that they're there is, uh, is a disturbing uh, thing, that the, um, more and more information, obviously, is coming out about uh, that it happened. Some so- guys on a motorcycle drove by and eliminated him. He's been there for two decades for- so it puts a lie to the Iranians' claim that they, they have no al-Qaeda there. They are there. And as I said, they were planning attacks against Jews. These are the guys who carried out attacks against synagogues and uh, Jews in the past, as well as against Americans and others. So this is it clearly done by Israel with American intelligence. It was a cooperative venture that they decided for reasons that I don't know to go public and to... Um, to send a warning. It's also a message to the IRGC and to the Iranian uh, government that they're not that they're vulnerable, that the and that the world should see what they're that they are harboring these kind of people, these terrorists. Israeli agents shot Al Masri on the streets of Tehran at the behest of the U.S. officials said, but no one, Iran, Al Qaeda, the U.S. or Israel, has publicly acknowledged the killing. No, that, that that's not correct. The New York Times is incorrect. 
No, the New York Times is correct, but they, how do you think they least re- released it? So we just have to read a little bit between the lines of that statement to get to the truth of it, which is they're saying nobody is officially thinking, but we have the information. It was clearly given to them by intelligence, probably American intelligence, with the approval of, of the Israelis, um, to send a, a very uh, strong message, because at the time they didn't acknowledge it. And they, they don't even acknowledge that these guys are there, the Iranians. So... It was very important that the that the message get out at a time when we see Iran moving ahead with their nuclear program, moving ahead now at Natanz in this underground facility where they are putting in the UF-6, uh, the, the uranium hexafluoride gas, into more advanced um, IR-2 instead of IR-1, which is what is required. They are violating every standard of the JCPOA. And we know that uh, uh, they are in every area of it that they are uh, advancing. And this is, uh, uh, you know, this is of of great concern. Obviously, we see the more adventurous nature in in what they did in the Golan, putting the IEDs again in, in the Golan. This wouldn't happen without Iran and Israel's holding Syria and Iran accountable for it. Thank God they were detected before they go off. These were planted on the roadsides in the the strip between Israel and Syria, which is patrolled by Israeli forces, in the very location where Israel had built the hospital that treated thousands of Syrians. That very location is where they placed these um, IEDs. Uh, and um, the, the, as you know, that this is not the first time that they've tried. They do it through tunnels, through drones, everything to try to penetrate uh, this this was uh, to penetrate the Israeli border. This was the Quds Force Unit 840 that is uh, is believed to be responsible. And thank God the military uh, engineers were able to dismantle them without um, anybody being hurt. But uh, the last attack, when these guys tried to plant them, uh, they were caught, and four of them were killed by uh, as they crossed into Israel. So this is an ongoing effort by Iran, uh, backed in uh, militia in Syria, to approach the Golan, to be able to penetrate, to get across, to kill Israeli soldiers. Uh, and that's why these kind of warnings by Israel that they're all vulnerable, and the leaders are vulnerable, the, the terrorists who carry it out are vulnerable, is so important. Um, if Joe Biden, assuming he's becoming president, if Joe Biden is uh, anxious to bring the nuclear deal back, so I read that there's two problems. Number one, the sanctions now the Trump administration has and will continue to until they leave the White House to put on Iran could be a major obstacle, and there are elections going on in Iran in June, which also could be an obstacle. Do you think those two things could prevent a new deal from a Democratic administration? Well, first of all, you can't just uh, impose a new deal. You can't just say tomorrow, you know, we're going to go back to the JCPOA. Uh, Mr. Biden has made clear that he's, he wants a revised uh, deal. They need longer terms, longer expiration terms, because many of them are, are already run out, as you saw in the arms embargo, which expired. And now nothing has taken its place in, in the U.N. The countries refused to, to uh, extend it. Um, so... The, the, the being able to go back into a new deal is not just 
a decision you make by fiat. You have to have the conditions for it. You are right, there are presidential elections in May or June, and that will be a factor because there's there's a lot of dissension about who will replace uh, the president, whether they will use Rouhani uh, to reach out to the administrations or Zarif to create a positive relationship or to try and signal a shift. But they, you know, they depend on the hardliners. The people in, in Iran would certainly probably go along with it. And by the way, the United States imposed a lot of new sanctions just this week against the so-called charities associated with the Supreme Leader and um, uh, against other entities. They, they did it against the uh, other aspects of the oil industry, and especially as it's come out, that Iran has increased greatly their exports of uh, the daily exports of oil, uh, mostly to through Iraq and Turkey, uh, clandestine, or by ships where they transfer at sea to other ships, so it's harder to, to detect. And selling to Venezuela, for instance, um, uh, significant quantities of, of uh, uh, oil and gas. And so uh, Iran, which is on very delicate footing in economically, Unemployment is huge. Their, their currency is collapsed. They need it out. They don't want to make any con- public concessions in this regard. Uh, that would affect the uh, both the domestic situation and the, what the Basij and all the extremists there will do. And at the same time, they have an eye on the election that's coming up. Um, what do you think of this report that the President of the United States seriously has considered a military action against Iran? Well, he, he sees that we're, what direction Iran is going in. I just cited a few of the examples. I mean, th- there's so much, uh, unfortunately, you know, we need the three-hour show to really go into the details about um, what they're doing. You know, there was just meetings in uh, South America of the BRIC nations, uh, Venezuela, Russia, Iran, and China, but the, and Zarif, the foreign minister of uh, Iran, visited Nicaragua and uh, and Chile and he visited and the Russian ambassador uh, also met with the new Bolivian head of state president Arce who is by the way moving back towards relationships with um, uh, Iran and and talks about the need to restart nuclear cooperation with with Russia we see all of these countries now being more assertive the return of Eva Morales uh, who settled in the cocoa regions of uh, uh, Chapare, and we uh, and so we see that Bolivia has moved back from the progress that was made in the recent years under the the outgoing government. Uh, now is being reversed, so we don't have to look far away to see how extensive Iran's penetration, together with others, is, and the threat that this uh, means because they can use Venezuela to spread weapons throughout the region in the same way that uh, Russia, for instance, is building a new base in in, um, in the Sudan because it will be a base from which they can operate throughout uh, Africa. There's so much going on, and we see that the enemies are filling voids that are left. So, you know, removing American troops or signaling that we are going to lessen our commitment in the region is, is, uh, opens the door for others to fill the void, and he's doing that, the president, with uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people supporting that decision about the removal of troops from the area. 
well, they, uh, people don't want to see American troops. I don't want to see American troops put in danger either, but we have to think about what the what the consequences are. You see in Iran, that in Syria, how they are expanding their their influence. Thank God they're all fighting each other still. But the, the you know, we have to send a message that we support those who do the right thing. You saw the Bahraini foreign minister visited Israel this week, uh, announced that he wants to open the embassy, held meetings with the prime minister, the president, the defense minister, many others. Um, the, the, uh, you know, but we have to send a show them that there, there is uh, benefits and that we will be strong in our backing, both of Israel and, and the positive forces in the region, and set back the others. I think the president was exploring the possibility of some sort of an action because Iran is violating the JCPOA in every respect, in, mil- in the development of their missile capacity and weapons, in their um, support for terrorism, their regional uh, efforts to to destabilize the region. So I think he was looking if something was possible, and I think the conclusion was that uh, they dissuaded him from it. The report from Syria was that Israeli, or regarding Syria, was that Israeli aircraft attacked targets in Damascus hours after IDF troops uncovered and disarmed a number of explosive devices planted inside Israeli-controlled territory on the Golan Heights. Uh, This didn't get much attention, frankly, but... uh, I, I mean, is there a Syrian reaction to this, or they just remain quiet even when they're attacked by Israel? No. Uh, generally, by the way, Israel has struck back hundreds, thousands of times against uh, Iranian and Syrian shipments of weapons, and there's been no retaliation because they know the price of retaliation. And the fact that they carry out these covert actions, which are really um, not very courageous to sneak in the middle of the night and plant IEDs uh, along the border. But the, as I, I spoke about, the reason that prompted that attack was the placement of the IEDs in along the Syrian uh, uh, border in the Golan. Uh, Israel hit back. They hit Iranian and Syrian targets. And they say we will hold Syria accountable. And three Syrian soldiers were killed in the action, and usually Israel maintains a policy of ambiguity about these things, but in this case, they went public because it was a retaliatory act and the message that they wanted to, to get out clearly. So they hid, um, you know, explosives uh, and munitions places, storage places, and other targets uh, right away so that there would be a clear message that if you continue to try to penetrate our border, you will pay a heavy price. Right, but there was always fear in the old days about Syrian retaliation, but I guess they retaliate in a way that's not uh, that's not public or something they wouldn't tell everybody about because they're afraid of what Israel's reaction would be, I would assume. Yes, yeah, so the public retaliation is very limited, right. and uh, as long as the Russians don't allow the any aircraft systems to be activated, or Israel has found a way to to bypass it. You know that Israel just finished one of the biggest uh, simulations of war in the north against Hezbollah in Iran, uh, and they sent some very clear messages with demonstrations of air and land power um, that could be uh, activated. So, and by the way, they found more stuff. They found a backpack with with more bombs that were ready to be planted. So this is, it's not the first time that they've done it, and I'm sure it won't be the last, but when you raise the stakes, and this is the message democracies have to learn, the Europeans keep sending the message of weakness. That does not work. That only encourages terrorists. 
But that's what. But I wonder about that. I, I know what's going. Not that I can criticize Israeli defense forces, but you wonder how the enemy does get into plant these IEDs. You wonder how they get into you know to to, to set things up on the border when when we would assume that the Israeli uh, presence on the border with Syria, is, especially you know I mean up in the Golan, is very very tight and very difficult for any enemy to move through. Well, it's not as tight as you think. Uh... And there are areas near Kunetra, et cetera, where people live, and they can get across the border. Uh, Israel does have very good surveillance, and that's how they often detect these things. Uh, as you remember, when they try to get through um, the, during the winter in the snow, and they tried other times that Israel eliminated the, the terrorists or captured them or you know, caught them even before they crossed the border, and they, they ran back. So Israel's, it, it, but if you know the terrain and you you understand, it's a huge job. You can't just put a camera there and and see everything. They have cameras, they have detection systems, they have uh, soldiers in place. But it's a long border, and for people to, you know, two or three guys to sneak up and to place um, these devices uh, to be to be exploded later, not while they're there, but to be exploded as Israelis drove by on the patrols. And the IDF has a lot of other borders to worry about as well. Uh, exactly. Finally, Malcolm, uh, we talked about, it's funny, we talk about BDS, the Secretary of State of the United States makes statements like that, but San Francisco State University, you know, has uh, a decision made that, uh, you know, that they, that they are uh, essentially pro-BDS is how it ends up. So the battles on the college campuses and so many other areas, uh, we may have some of the states covered. We may have the national government making uh, pr- proper statements, but when it comes to the college campuses and groups like that, there's still plenty of work to do. There is. There were a number of campuses where uh, the federal government, by the way, stepped in. NYU is one. Uh, now Urbana is being investigated. University of uh, in Urbana, Illinois. Um, but the San Francisco State was actually pursued, especially by Lawfare Project and others then, and got an agreement that was signed. It went to court. And on the first day, San Francisco State capitulated when they saw how much evidence there was. And students who had the courage to stand up and be plaintiffs, the complainants in the cases, um, and the uh, um, university finally uh, signed a very extensive agreement which would bar the kind of things that took place when a Leila Khalid is invited to a university, a terrorist, when others, and that the rights of Jewish students still are not fully respected. And part of that is not to support BDS, and part of it is, you know, it's about the, the security of, of Jews on campus. And unfortunately, it's a situation we're encountering across the country, communities, but particularly on campuses where and most campuses where you don't have students. So it's much quieter than it might be otherwise uh, this year, but it's still a very immediate danger. And that's in part why the Secretary's statement, but also what the Department of Education has done in, in this regard to, to try to counter this, uh, the BDS, et cetera, movements. Uh, and they are hateful. They are anti-Semitism. This is not criticism of a particular policy or something of that kind. So we should be very clear about the nature of BDS and why this kind of the legislative efforts on the state level, city levels, and uh, colleges, and demanding that everybody adopt the IRA definition, the international um, definition of anti-Semitism. So you have a standard by which to go because they even have examples attached to it. And many countries, about 30 countries, have already adopted it, and we're pressing now that every Jewish organization and every community adopt it so that we have a standard 
um, because the rise of anti-Semitism, despite COVID, continues. The numbers are outrageous. The FBI came out with a report. And believe me, it is a fraction of the reality. It is not of true, a true accounting. Uh, and there it shows the, the, the tremendous increase in the number of anti-Semitic attacks over the last year. But most of them do not get reported. Police departments don't want to report it. People don't report incidents. We have to really get our community to understand that they have to report it and demand that it be listed as a hate crime. All right, Malcolm, we'll let everyone know during the week in terms of our plans for Thanksgiving weekend for next Friday. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a great Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Fridays with us here at JM in the AM.